0: So I put together this beautiful proposal, very visually stunning, with examples of my previous work. And essentially, I kind of never heard back from her again. I followed up, oh, we decided to go in a different direction. Oh yeah, we received it, I'll circle back. She never circled back. So then I went to a mutual friend, the friend that had introduced us, And I said, hey, you know, did I charge too much for that? She was like, nah, these are rich women. If anything, you should have charged more. So again, I feel like my using my third eye, I feel like they expected me to do that work for much less. I guarantee you, if my price was low, 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 I will still be doing work for that company. Welcome to Blacks Into Africa. My name is Tadre Delora Moignier, a California native living her best life in Nairobi, Kenya. Thank you so much for coming along for the ride. I hope that you are informed, entertained, and inspired to relax it to Africa. First, let me apologize for the delay. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a dope beat to step to. Shout out to Eric B and Rakim. (laughs) If you know, you know. Um, I have been traveling to Uganda. I went to a traditional wedding in Imbarara. One of my girlfriends was getting married there and just life just caught up with me. I had a pretty bad skating accident, so I've been down for the count, but now I'm back. In this episode, we're going to be discussing the downside of being an expat. So often people glamorize and they talk about how wonderful it is to relocate (laughs) out of the global north or to just move someplace different. But not enough is said about the downside of being an expat. And while overall, I would definitely say that living abroad, leaving the United States permanently has been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life, particularly coming to Nairobi, Kenya. But there are some things that are just like, "Mm." (laughs) I wish things were different. So there is no utopian community. There is no perfect place on the planet, but we can get close, right? So as usual, I have my notes in front of me so that I can stay on target, because you know Auntie can veer off target. Um, but I just want to share a few of the things with you that I personally find to be the downside of being an expat. Oh. And Let's just talk about this one thing, expat versus immigrant. I don't care what you call me. You can call me an immigrant. You can call me an expat. There's quite a bit of debate about who we are, what that means, what's the difference between an expat and an immigrant. It's pretty much the same thing, right? However, expat, expatriate, There's a general connotation that if you're an expat, you're of a higher class, you are welcome in the country, you got a good job, right? Your paperwork is in order, more than likely you're of European descent, we'll just say white European descent. And if you're an immigrant, it's like you're poor, you're unwanted, you might be illegal, You know, so we can debate that maybe on another episode. But me personally, I realize I'm a guest in this country and you want to call me an immigrant. You want to call me an expat. It's up to you. Okay. so the first downside about being an expat or an immigrant is that you fall in love with people and then they leave. You know, we tend to be these very adventurous, exploratory people and like attracts like. And so then you meet these other adventurous, exploratory individuals and you fall in love with them. And I mean like platonic relationships, romantic relationships, whatever it may be. You spend a lot of time with them. You get to know them and then they be out on the next journey, the next adventure. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so happy for you because you're moving, you're moving on with your life and you're continuing in this path of exploration. But I'm sad because I'm going to miss you. So I would say that that's probably the number one downfall. I actually read that on someone's blog and they were exactly right. And, you know, being away from your tribe, your friends and your family, it becomes important because we are social beings to establish a new tribe. So you establish a new tribe and you moving around the country together and you're sharing in similar experiences. And then they be like, yeah, deuces. The second thing that I would say is a downside of being an expat is it's like you're moving to a new country and you're a baby again. And if you're someone that likes change, and I do like change, I like adventure, that can also be an upside because everything is new, everything is fresh, and you're you're in the presence, right? Um, But it can be a little bit of an inconvenience, like you have to learn a new way of being. You have to figure out, you know, who your service providers are going to be, what the best products are. And it's something like when you grow up in the same place, you always know like Tide or All is your favorite detergent, you know, this is going to be your, you know, Jergens or whatever you use is your favorite skincare whatever your favorite uh, hair care product is. When you come to a new country, like I had to Google what's the best toilet paper in Kenya. And, you know, the product that came as up as number one, like I wasn't really feeling it. <laughs> These are just inconveniences, you know, figuring out um, which way to cross the street or which way to look first before you cross the street. In Kenya, you got to look right first, you know, which side of the road to drive on, who you can trust. In the previous episodes, I talked about, you know, uh, the things that annoy me about Kenya. And, you know, I focused on these fundies, these service providers or carpenters who really be trying to get over at every turn. If I was at home, I would have been figured that out because I probably would have gone to the fundi that my parents had gone to or my friends had gone to. But when you're establishing new friends and some of those friends are not from the place, you're kind of at a disadvantage. Um, learning how things are done, right? In the States, Every state has a different process for securing housing, real estate, whether you're buying or you're renting. The same in Kenya, so, and Zanzibar for that matter. So, I lived in Zanzibar, and you know, you had to, they wanted you to pay like six months' rent up front, which explains why a lot of people just live in really I would say squalid conditions on top of the fact that the structures in Zanzibar are typically very old. So when I first got this place, I recall they needed a reference and I don't ever recall having to give a reference to move into any place in the States, um, whether I was renting or buying. I um, What else yeah and then I think they wanted like first last and then current which is not bad you know but then one of the shockers for me was that when you move into a new place right and you're renting you got to put in all the appliances the drapes the light fixtures which in most parts of the US, that is not something you have to do. So I had to get new drapes. I had to get light fixtures. I have to buy a refrigerator. I had to buy a stove. And even when I replaced one of the light fixtures, I was not reimbursed for it. (laughs) So that was a shock. So just learning how things get done. Um, And then people talk about Kenya being really corrupt. I think, uh, I don't think Kenya is an anomaly. There's a lot of corruption in states. It's just not, maybe we're more used to it. Maybe it's not as in your face. Like we don't just give the police money. It's not expected that when we get stopped, we just give the police money. I would say in East Africa in general, when you're stopped, that's the that's the reason why you're being stopped. <laughs> that, that's the reason you're being stopped for a bribe, you know? So again, learning how things get done. Um, knowing where to shop for things, right? So uh, there's a lot of supermarkets here in Kenya and, you know, Naivus, um, Carrefour. Figuring out like, what's your favorite place? Since I have lived abroad for several years and shopped at the most amazing markets, I prefer a smaller market. So I prefer Chondorana, which is kind of similar to Trader Joe's in the U.S. It's a small market and I like going where people know me, you know, where people recognize me, where, you know, just seeing familiar faces. And I recall listening to this podcast and they were saying that, you know, the richness of your life is really not so much defined by your family, but really the people that you encounter every day. So the relationships you have with your guard, with your bartender, with your hairstylist, you know, with the people that you see at the Metro stop, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And then, you know, for me, like living in a place where the price is not on the products, okay, all the time, not knowing what the price of something should be, that's definitely a downside. Because, for instance, these braids, I think it's just five little braids here. With extensions and beads, I went to Kenyatta Market, which is a place in Nairobi that's known for its magnificent graders You will never come out of Kenyatta Market looking like you've been set up, okay? Now, you have to bargain, okay? So when I showed her a picture of what I wanted, first off, she was like 1,000 shillings. Oh my God. When I told Kenyans how much for these few little braids, they lost it. I mean, lost it. And I was like, oh. So I said, well, I think these should be 500 Sis was like, all right, let's at least do six. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to have it with you over 100 shillings, which is the equivalent to $1. Uh... And then like I liked them so much and I was very particular about the beading, etc. I ended up just giving her a, a thousand shillings one GP, which is the equivalent to about eight US dollars. For the average Kenyan, that is too much. Like the kids that I work with at the skate park, they was like, you should have paid a hundred shillings for that. That's less than a dollar. <laughs> But I do think that there are levels, right? Because if I go to Spritz Salon, which is a higher-end salon, you know, I'm going to pay more. If I go to Kenyatta Market, I should pay a little bit less. However, coming from the United States, where people are paying $250 to $2,000 for some braids, for some temporary lock extensions, eight dollars like i feel like i'm winning (laughs) so i guess i went winning and kamene at kamene yes kamene at Kenyatta market she went in too (laughs) so negotiating those prices not really knowing what the prices are and i want to pay the local price most of the time At the same time, I'm not going to haggle with you over 50 shillings, over 100 shillings. I just kind of want to get in and out. I think that that's one of the signature characteristics of Americans. We like convenience. We, We like to do things real quick. And the patience that is required to negotiate, I don't always have the patience for that. Then number three, I touched on this a little bit. (sighs) Being away from loved ones. For a lot of people, that would probably be number one. I'm an only child. I'm my mother's only child. Let me clarify that. I do have a half-sister on my father's side. And I'm also an introvert that can be an extrovert. So this thing is not too tough for me. I also come from a really small family. My girls, though, like my home girls, that has been tough, you know, because you move someplace new, it's beautiful, you're experiencing all these wonderful things, and the only person you can or person you can share it with is yourself. Um The only person you can really talk to about is really with yourself. You can only describe it to other people. And so, you know, spending quality time with people who understand me, who know me, we have history, it's been tough being away from them. Um, But again, as I spoke about in number one, falling in love with transient people and then they leave, um, you know, you build your own tribe. And I can say that I do have a tribe of women here in Nairobi that I consider to be really cool friends and we can vibe on multiple levels. But, you know, you got to make new friends. You got to build trust with new people. You have to find your tribe you know the building trust with new people is interesting because i'll meet people who you know let's say they're kenyan and you know they think i'm cool but i'm being auditioned, you know to see like how cool am i can i introduce you to my tribe will you be a good fit in my tribe like i experienced that a lot particularly in uganda zanzibar was a bit tough in terms of finding my tribe Because to be perfectly honest with you, um, the white North Americans, white Europeans, they really wasn't trying to fuck with me. They were curious about me, but they weren't trying to fuck with me like that. And um, there were very few black Americans on the island. And not that I need to be around black Americans or black people to vibe, but Typically, when you meet people of your same tribe, you're more likely to vibe. Now, Zenji women, Zanzibari women, I'm going to say this generally speaking, and I hope not to offend anyone, they're places in the home. Right, So they're not going to be out at the bars. They can't be out at the bars. They can't be out at the clubs. They can't be out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, And then to invite this infidel into your home, <laughs> you know, someone who is non-Muslim, someone who is single, you know, this woman with this big age and she ain't got no husband, she ain't got no kids. Like that was kind of, you know... I did have one friend, one Zinji friend who lived across the road from me and also the language barrier, right? So there's only so many things that I could talk about with her in Swahili and her English was just like pretty much non-existent. But the way that we would communicate was with our food. So she would make food and then she bring the, She had the kids come over and get me and not go to her house and eat. And then I would make food and I would bring it over for her to try. And then one day I went out with her like fishing or it was almost like a, a scavenger hunt because when the tide got really low, we walked, we walked for miles out into the ocean, just picking up um, little mollusks, right? Buckets. Buckets full that she would then extract and boil up into a nice curry tomato based sauce over some rice with vegetables. Bomb! But I say all that to say that mm, finding your tribe can be difficult depending on where you are. And I feel like Kenyans are good on a tribe. You know, just kind of like no new friends. In a way, like I got my people, I got my family, I got my age mates, my colleagues I fuck with, my home girls, you know, my schoolmates. And then here you are and like, I'm good. So it's been a bit difficult for me to meet women friends in Kenya or Kenyan, Kenyan women friends, because I do have girlfriends here and most of them are not Kenyan. Um, meeting men, <laughs> that's, that's really easy. Um, Uganda was different because Uganda's actually rated as the friendliest country in the world. Ugandans are kind for no good reason, just polite because that's the culture. And I would just meet somebody out at a bar at a lounge and exchange phone numbers. And they call me the next day. Let's hang out as an American. <laughs> that's kind of like, Oh, cause we really, we are really like no new friends. You know, we don't really bring people into the circle unless we just like really want that person in the circle and we're really deliberate and intentional, but And Uganda is like, no big deal. Number four, the downside of being an expat. Number four, establishing yourself in a new market, perhaps even a new career. So it's been difficult to figure out how much to charge for my services. For instance, when I lived in Uganda and um, I was approached to style a fashion brand and this Ugandan fashion brand, they said, we like your style and we think that you would be great to style our new collection. Number one, I had never styled a fashion brand. Number two, I didn't know how much to charge in the Ugandan market. I could guesstimate how much I would charge in, let's say, Los Angeles or New York, but in Kampala, so Sis ended up paying me um, what I would consider small money, but it was my first time. I was excited. I was happy, right? And I met new people. One time I was even paid in clothes. There's one of my favorite stores in uh, Kampala. I won't say the name. And I would go in and the customer service was just horrible. I'm a customer service trainer. It's not something that I advertise. I was like, look, I like this place. I want sis to win. And we got to do something about this customer service. And so she was like, okay, cool. I would love to hire you to come in and train my staff. How much do you charge? I told her how much I would charge. I was a bit, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about how much to charge because again, we're talking about, Kampala, a different market. I gave her my price. She was like, "Ooh, that's a bit much." I was like, "But you know what? I like what y'all got. You, you can pay me in clothes. <laughs> how about that? Pay me in clothes and accessories." And that's how we worked that out. But you know, you're not always going to be able to barter. So what do you do, right? Um, there was another situation I had in Kenya where a sis came to me. Um, she was a corporate exec C-suite and she also mentored other women who were corporate execs who were making their way up that corporate ladder. And she said, listen, these women want a makeover. They say they want me to mentor them, but at the end of the day, I realized what they really want is a makeover of their CV, their corporate photos, etc." How much would you charge? So I put together this beautiful proposal, very visually stunning, with examples of my previous work. And essentially, I kind of never heard back from her again. I followed up, oh, we decided to go in a different direction. Oh yeah, we received it. I'll circle back. She never circled back. So then I went to a mutual friend, the friend that had introduced us, and I said, Hey, you know, did I charge too much for that? She was like, nah, these are rich women. If anything, you should have charged more. So again, I feel like my using my third eye, I feel like they expected me to do that work for much less I guarantee you if my price was low 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 I would still be doing work for that company for that entity and what happens when you are starting a new career you know I know people who are looking for work in Kenya and they just they've essentially resigned themselves to knowing that they're going to be paid much less than what they would be paid in finland and north america etc etc and it really is going to depend on your industry but i would imagine you know breaking into the marketing industry here would be tough because number one you don't speak the language And number two, you don't have the contacts here. You're basically just out here winging it based on what you've done in the States, who you know in the States or wherever you're coming from. So that would be another downside. The fifth and final downside of being an expat is learning a new language. I feel like that's also a positive depending on how good you are with languages and really just how curious you are about culture. The downside, of course, is, you know, it takes time. It takes practice, consistency, and you must be intentional if you want to learn a new language. And it's interesting being in Kenya because i be speaking Kiswahili to folks and they respond in English like they'll laugh and respond in English. I've never lived anywhere where people just laugh at you in your face when you speak in a language and correctly most of the time. Granted, it's not the right accent. Sometimes I'm slow and apparently I'm speaking like Tanzanian, Swahili because actually that's what I'm learning. I'm learning Tanzanian, Swahili you know, which is like the proper Swahili, quote unquote, but still like they be quick to laugh in my face, but that does not stop me. I'll say Yajay, which is more like Shang, which is a slang and they'll answer back with, hello, Jambo. And Jambo is such a diss. Jambo is like, what they teach foreigners when you're learning a language. Jambo, see Jambo? They say that a lot in Zanzibar, but Jambo is really not something that is said here in Kenya. So I know like if I say to someone, Habariyako, Mambo, and they respond with Jambo is a diss. (laughs) But nonetheless, every day I get up and I do my little 10 minutes on Duolingo and I keep it pushing. Kenya, I'll just say Nairobi, makes it a bit difficult to learn key Swahili because damn near everybody in Nairobi speaks English and speaks it well. Uganda, I, you know, I went back to Uganda recently for a wedding, as I stated previously, and I was surprised how I was able to just rock with Swahili with a certain generation you know, millennials, millennial Ugandans don't really speak much Swahili, but, you know, Gen, uh, Gen X baby boomers, they speak key Swahili or at least understand, you know? Um, so yeah, learning a language, that would be, I would say that's a downside of being an expat, but it's, it can also be fun, you know? <laughs> and you know, They say the best way to learn a language is to have a lover that speaks that language. And I'm just going to leave that right there. All in all, I would say that if you're an adventurous spirit, if you're a curious being, you will love living in Africa. And you know what? I wouldn't trade it for the world. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Black Sit to Africa. May you thrive. May you move with love and intention. Until next time.